start with a horrible snap all the way back to the two-yard line, and the Browns bounce it into the end zone where they wind up with a touchdown. Of all crazy things, you don't go to the playoffs for 18 years, and that is the way it starts in the first 14 seconds. Minus three with Dave Damashek and Jeff Schwartz. Do it, fellas. Yeah, yeah. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus Three, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Tune in all season long. I think it's crazy that pro football teams have decided that they're going to press on even without the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's their choice. They've made their bed. They're going to have to lay in it. To talk with us about all of it, it's going to be Eric Wood, late of the Buffalo Bills, and we're looking forward to kibitzing with him during an exciting time up there in western New York. All the divisional round games ready to go. Some crazy stuff going on in the NBA um, to get to. And uh, the debut of a new segment, we're going to do a little hockey corner in uh, at the end of the show here to service the hockey fans, especially that crazy division with the Rangers and the Islanders and the Penguins and the Bruins and all the good teams and all of the NHL all put into one stinking division, more good times coming for, uh, for uh, the sports fan, even though football season's about to wrap up, but here to help us break it all down. It's our pal, Jeff Schwartz. What's the poop fella. I am excited to be here. Um, Are you talking great? are we talking about the like the Capital One division in hockey? Like what? I don't which, know uh, what which division called. are we talking about? The uh, like what? what we have the sponsor divisions this year, right? They're, I yeah, know. Are uh, you are, are you miffed by that? Gotta make money somehow, right? Like, Discovery like, Central, like, Mass Mutual East, Honda West, Scotia North. Those are your divisions. Like, could you I, imagine if it was the AFC Conference brought to you by Capital One? <laughs> I mean that. I, I think that is what it's eventually going to be, right? That somehow that, I mean, that's what Probably, happened to every yeah. bowl game over the last 25 years. And you don't really bat much of an eye at it anymore. You just kind of. The one bowl, the Rose Bowl, refuses to have any any sponsor attached to them. So they are the Rose Bowl presented by, where the other ones are like the Alamo or the Alera Peach Bowl or the, you know, the Toyota Orange Bowl, whatever it is. Uh, the Rose Bowl has not given in to that. So maybe the NFL will, will you know, the AFC conference presented by Viagra. Well, listen, we talked about it last week that the MV, the NFL MVP trophy needs a cooler name. Talk about a brand. The Heisman trophy is it by itself more important than whoever right. wins it. Now there's no, it, it is not somehow um, an indicator that a guy's going to go on to great pro football success or otherwise, but it still matters because the trophy is cool Maybe they should do that with the divisions. I say, you know, NHL was cool because it used to have the Patrick division and the Campbell Conference and the Smythe and so on. And it still has, instead of an MVP trophy, it's the Hart Trophy and so on. Maybe they should do that with the NFL divisions. Maybe the best player in each division's history should have it named after him for all of time. That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? I mean, and you might make a case in the history of the AFC North that the greatest player is Ben Roethlisberger, which is an interesting... I'm just throwing that out there. I'm talking about the AFC North. It's only been around for 25 years. Who would get it? Ray Lewis? I mean, that, that those would be John, probably... It'd be, it'd be probably Jonathan Ogden. Oh, come on. We're not naming it after an <laughs> offensive lineman. You weirdo. <laughs> that, that's certainly not going to happen. Al- Al- uh, Fanica, the, the, the Ogden Fanica North MVP award? <laughs> it's enough. 
It's enough. All right, before we jump into the divisional round, and I'm anxious to do it, and hello to you, by the way, Eddie Spaghetti. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm excited to see this podcast, how much uh, Steelers talk we jam in, despite them being eliminated. Wait, it's not interesting to you? That's what happens. Is we're, we're, we're sitting here right on the at the peak in between the wild card sorrow and the uh, the excitement for it's, divisional round, right? Don't we? Isn't this what we're supposed to do? Is talk about these things? Yeah, but it's just it's more. It's this is more for me. I just want to measure it to see divisional round, how much Steelers talk, championship weekend, how much Steelers talk, Super Bowl weekend, how much Steelers talk. I have to just measure how much time allotment each as the weeks go on with All them right, on. You and Schwartz decide. Do you guys want to talk about the Steelers oh, at all or no? But I want to. But I want to ask. I want to almost interview you. I need to, this is like an like a like a, an autopsy of the event. What as as that ball from Pouncey is flying over Roethlisberger's head? What do you think? It first play of the game. I think it's interesting that um, you know Tom Brady and Drew Brees at their advanced ages are now in the divisional round, getting ready for round three. And I'm really fascinated to do a deep dive on what's going to happen in the Super... Oh, okay, you want to talk about that game? Let's talk about it for a minute. That play, I mean, to me, I talk about the curse of Spost all the time. They, for whatever reason, were tight. I don't know who that goes on, but I mean, and I don't know, Schwartz, you know better than I. People make that sort of facile, like, oh, same old steal or same old... Blank, my team, whatever. People complain about these things. I mean, is that on Coach Tomlin that from 2017, same spot, divisional round, they are favored to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, same thing as the Cleveland Browns, and they just pooped the bed. That's it. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I, I also think that if you kind of considered – the whole game got so out of whack. I mean, it was 28-0. to zero with two minutes left in the first quarter, like nothing made any sense. And yet they still, the, the Steelers st- still sort of rallied against prevent I, defense the rest of the game. And so I don't know, but I do feel like without that freakish crap at the start of the game, that the, that the Steelers yeah. win that game, but that worse than the pouncy thing to me, like that was bizarre and freaky. And if you've been watching the Steelers for the last couple of few years, Marquise Pouncey has not been consistent right. with that shotgun snap. That's not a, a first time issue. However, the apocalyptic nature of that particular snap, how, I mean, that was, I mean, yards. The, I mean, the Peyton Manning one in the Super Bowl at least skipped off the old man's hand. Roethlisberger had no chance. Like I keep saying, you could have had the actual big Ben clock, out there and it wouldn't it, it, it would have flown over the peak of that thing so i don't know that was crazy but the but the more damning one and it really gets to the the uh, confluence much like the allegheny and monongahela converged to form the ohio i don't know if this is more on tomlin or roethlisberger but the convergence of those two roethlisberger's pick on that little floater i know this sounds hyperbolic that was the worst pass i think of his entire career and he's thrown some stinkers but i mean he had James Conner eight feet in front of him, and somehow he pitched it eight yards over the guy's head. I mean, what 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 in hell? It it was bad, and and I don't know how much to blame on Tomlin because look, they did fight back, right? So you can't say that Tomlin coached a bad game. He's also not the center. He's also not Big Ben, right? He's not. He can't tell Big Ben not to overthrow somebody. Like that's that's no. You could blame him maybe. Ben shouldn't have played this year. They should have moved on from him in the offseason. I like you could maybe blame it, but that's not his call, right? That's Kevin Colbert's call. So, but I think we can specifically blame Tomlin is that punt, man. That, that's inexcusable to punt. You're down 12. 
you're playing really good. You've held the Browns now to a couple three and outs. If you score there, in fourth and two, get two yards. You score there, you're down five with like eight minutes left. And the Browns' buttholes are this tight, right? And they don't have their coach there. They don't have their head coach to kind of guide them. They don't have their main play caller. Like they, they have nothing there that is a stabilizing force other than Baker Mayfield and the players on the field. Like they don't have a, like a someone to go to, but okay, guys, calm down. We'll get this in. Because they no one had ever been there before, right? Stefanski at least was in the playoffs with Minnesota. They, they had no one in there, the youngest team in the NFL. They don't no playoff, really youngest playoff team, I should say. And so when Tomlin punted that ball, I uh, people have said cowardly. I think that's a wrong term to use for Tomlin. I don't think Tomlin at all is a coward. But it wasn't playing to win, right? It wasn't playing. It was playing. Well, he always talks about we don't live in our fears, but a couple of times down the stretch, it would appear that he went conservative out of fear, whatever word you want to tag him with there. I just – the other the, – other, but the, the thing with that is you know if you're Mike Tomlin or anybody who's watched them, if you're Ben Roethlisberger or otherwise – they can't make a yard when they have to have it. That's not a small matter. There's a what, and you're limited based on what you see from other teams um, out there right now. They can't move the quarterback. That's not an option. I mean, you see what, what you see what they try to do on two point conversions. They throw fades on on, on two point. I mean, that's what they do. They can't. The defense knows they're not going to run it at us here. Um, they, they know that the quarterback's not going to beat you on a bootleg or anything. So you're, they're very limited in what they can do in that spot. And so I kind of get it. And then you're also kind of hoping, I guess, if you're Tomlin, the defense is playing well and Baker is throwing some, some dangerous passes there and maybe we'll pick him or something like that. I, I, I'm guessing that was the math on that. Obviously it was, uh, it was wrong, but um, I kind of get where he's at. Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go for it on fourth and one, even though we can't make a yard, as we already showed earlier in the game, handing the ball off to Derek Watt for once and then twice this season. Those, th- those are his first and only two carries of the entire season. I, I think that what you do is you just keep throwing the ball. Like, you, you were throwing the ball fine. Guys are wide open. Just you can still throw the ball 17 yards downfield on fourth and two. If the guy's open, he's open. Like, that's my point is that you were dicing up the Browns' defense. The Browns' defense was sitting back in coverage. Even if, look, if you rush up to the line of scrimmage, you don't like the look, then call timeout and then go for it. Like, you know, if the Browns show pressure, shit, with the wrong call, call timeout. But the fact is, if you had lined up, gone set up, the Browns were playing back. Like, I talked to one of the Browns' coaches. He goes, all we were doing was playing too high, and we didn't want to get beat deep because of the, the wide receivers they had. Like, there was plenty of room to, to, to go down and make a play. And then obviously the Browns come back and they score. You know, they took them four plays to get back to where they were and they scored a touchdown. And that was the end of it. And uh, the big question now, obviously, is what happens with with Ben. Uh, Pouncey looks like he's going to retire. I can't. And we saw the emotion of Ben and Pouncey after the game. That to me is an acknowledgement from Ben that he knows he doesn't have any more physically. Like mentally, he's still there probably. But physically, you're when you, and that's the, the hard part of being an athlete is a lot of times, your body betrays you before your mind does. And so he probably thinks he can still play. But in this biggest game of the year, he looked like shit. He threw five, four interceptions. He threw for 500 yards. I get it. And I think he come to the realization that, like, this run as a Steelers team is now over. Well, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting spot because they do have – so, uh, some key vets still under contract for 2021. And so then do you begin the process of kind of overturning things? But 
I don't know, man. The defense is still there. I, I just feel like it's all predicated on this is a dumb comment uh, on face, but it's all predicated on the talent that they the high end talent that they, the first round pedigree talent that they put out there on both sides of the ball. And if any of that goes away, the whole thing implodes on them. And that's well, obviously it's a it's a pedigree league, but. On the other hand, there are plenty of teams. Look at the Cleveland Browns. They were down to a lot of second stringers, and they somehow survived that game. Isn't that an indictment on some level of the coaching? That Well, like, well, you can't really take the defense to task too much ever since Devin Bush went out. Once you lose that speed in the middle of things, it really shakes things up. Like, don't you have to overcome that? All the t- standard is the standard talk becomes kind of ironic in Pittsburgh when other teams are better at overcoming um, key losses than yeah, the Steelers are. But- I think the problem with the way they've lost was not that they didn't have guys. They got, their best players got punched in the mouth. Like I highlighted a play on my Twitter account of Michael Dunn, who had never played in the NFL before, reaching Cam Hayward and sealing him off for them to score a touchdown. That cannot happen, right? You can't let backup offensive linemen dominate you. Baker Mayfield was not touched the entire game. I know. Well, who's so, that on? Like, all of a sudden, their talent went away? Their will went away? Well, I mean, who, who's so, that on except so, to, uh, so, other than scheme more than players? No? It's just – no, I just think they just – they weren't ready to play. They thought the Browns were going to roll over and die because they had no coach there and didn't practice all week for COVID. Now, by the way, everyone wants to cancel practice. Okay. Like, it's the only time like, – can you guys think about this? How many times – have you been in a profession or know someone in a high level profession where the, the way to get better is to do less practicing, less practice. Like the, you know, the idea that, Oh, Brown's won. No, no more practice guys. No more practice. I get there's a physicality nature to the NFL. So it's a little bit different, but you still got to practice to be good at your craft. Like, I don't understand this idea that, Oh, we don't have to practice anymore. The Browns did it. Yeah. One game sample size. Congratulations. Um, so I just think the Pittsburgh, if, to be bold, and you know the saying, right? Fortune favors the bold, right? The Chiefs trade up for Pat Mahomes. If the Steelers feel they have a roster healthy, they can compete to win a championship, they have to trade up in the draft and get a quarterback this year. Yeah, so you don't think you don't think as constituted, maybe Pouncey moves on, Juju is almost certainly gonna move on. You right. Can't you can't bend all that money and win a championship, I think. Like that, you can't allocate all those resources to Ben and win a championship. You need to use those resources to build your offensive line back up, to maybe add some depth on your defense. Uh, obviously, you don't need to add another Juju. You draft wide receivers just fine. But speaking about Juju and, and Chase Claypool, like, guys, can we just... Oh, who cares? Who cares, no, 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 though? No, 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 here's the problem. Here's the problem. Like, Chase, you just got your ass kicked, man. You can't go on the next day and be like, the Browns are get clapped next week. Who cares? Can you at least show you care a little bit about losing? Like, at least, at least pretend to do it? Yeah, I agree with that. And, That's and worse. Think, that definitely right. is worse than Juju. Juju okay. no, has I'm no impact on anything. Right. I, no, no. I, 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 Correct. I would say. But my point, here's my point, though. It's not, right. The, the, his, I know that Browns fans will say, well, this quote motivated the Browns players. Okay. If they don't need his quote to be motivated, they probably should be playing football. Um, the problem with, with guys that talk a lot like that is that it does distract and bother people in the locker room that really are just by. So like, let's say I'm in the, the Steelers locker room media. It's different this year because there's not as much media, but if, if Juju had said those things and I'm a veteran in that room, guess who comes to me to talk and ask about that? The reporters do. Hey, Jeff, 
How do you feel about how do you feel about Juju's comments? How do you feel about Juju's comments? How do you feel about Juju's comments? It's like it's fucking exhausting to deal with that all the time, especially when you're losing, right? And like I'm a little old school, man. I'm more of the you're quiet and then you talk shit afterwards. Talk as much shit as you want after the game. After you win the game, talk as much as you want. But before that, just shut up. And I'm old school. Okay, I get it. I'm an offensive lineman too. But like just just be quiet, win the game, and then talk as much shit as you want. Just me, it doesn't affect the game. The Browns didn't play any harder because Juju talks shit before the game. But just, I just like it when you just do your job. Like the best teams in the NFL, in college football, they don't talk shit before the game. They just go out and play the game and then afterwards talk a whole bunch of shit. That's the way it should be. Like, just, so just, like, please, guys, just stop doing it. I hear you and how it might impact the team. I am, I, I, like I say, I think it's questionable. Uh, in fact, I deny that it has any impact on on the Browns' effort, at least specifically. It's a, no, it's a, no, you're, you're right. And again, I'm not talking about that. Like, there's no difference in the Browns' effort. I'm just saying I think you're best mentally prepared you. if you just don't talk shit before the game. <laughs> I do think it then put – right. I do think it puts you your, yourself in the crosshairs when you're like, I'm going to do this to so-and-so. I, I don't understand that. I, I but, but I also don't understand the high stakes of being out on an island. If I'm a receiver it's, – it's not a coincidence that it's always receivers and DBs because they are, by the nature of what they're doing, they're isolated. Offensive yeah, linemen yes. and defensive linemen right. don't talk as much stuff because it's, it's about – bravado and self-confidence well, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and look, and I agree with you there, and I've said this before, there's a reason why you, the, those positions, wide receiver and cornerback, are the most ego-filled positions typically, because it is one-on-one, right? Like, you know, yeah, the quarterback has to throw you the ball, but you got to win your route, and it's typically up to you to just do it, right? I can block well as an offensive lineman, but if my partner doesn't block well, play don't matter, right? My block doesn't matter if he can't do it. So we're as, in it as a unit. If you're wide receiver, if you're Juju, you're one-on-one, dude. Like I get I get having an ego. I actually feel weird if you didn't have an ego playing wide receiver or corner. But it's it's about balancing that ego along the way. And I feel like it's just with Juju, it kind of got lost a little bit this season. Um and I, I I the thing about the marketing part of this, people have talked about his marketing and all he's doing this for marketing, is you typically get marketing deals if you're good and if you play on good teams so i think players forget that that even though like if he were to leave pittsburgh and go somewhere the jets let's say the jets you know in in, in the new york market if they don't win in new york he's not getting endorsements just the way it is so like players i think don't understand that sometimes you you do have to be part of a team to get that notoriety a lot of times being yourself doesn't work if you're on a bad team so uh it's kind of this blend and i get players going for the market I, i'm all for it but again, just like the talking shit before the game thing, I'd rather just players don't do that. Uh, I hear you. I also think it is a reflection of almost every guy, whether it's Jalen Ramsey um, on one side and, you know, look at the list. Michael Thomas in his own way talks stuff. I mean, he even did it in the offseason about his quarterback and New Hopkins isn't a uh, a delicate flower about sharing his opinions. I just think it's, it, it, you know, when people point at one guy and say, see what he's doing, a lot of guys in that spot are doing it. And to your point, 
Somebody said to me years ago when Ike Taylor was in the league, they said, you know, Ike is clear. You know how I know Ike Taylor's a smart guy? Because he sees that it makes sense for him to stay in that system. He's a star in that right. scheme. And if he goes and chases money in the short term, it'll be a big splash for him and he'll make millions of dollars. But there's a good chance that in a year or two, he'll be rotated out because he can't just sur- just go to any other team and thrive. You have to consider scheme. And I do think there's something for Juju as far as that goes. He's, you know, he's a particular guy. I I don't mean personality wise. He's a particular player. He's not going to drop in and be your number one and dominate uh, uh, double coverage. And otherwise we've already seen that for that though. Like that's right. I know that's what I'm saying. I think there is something to, I'm not, uh, this isn't uh, wishful thinking on my part. I I think the Steelers have other places that they must spend their money uh, other than on keeping Juju right now. But I do think that he should consider I, you know, people always say that people are cavalier home, home count, this hometown discount. Every yeah. player, like most human beings, will go where the most money is available to them. That makes sense. And people try to begrudge them because they root for that guy on their team. But it makes sense, obviously, if you can remove yourself from your rooting interest, why you would do that. But there is something to don't just be cavalier player about like, oh, they're giving me the most money. Great. You, that could turn against you fast. Witness. Levy and Bell, obviously, you know, the things haven't been yeah, the same. But there. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh was giving him a fair deal too, though, which is kind of silly. Like that's a look, there, there's a lot to the idea of, of getting paid the most money. And, you know, it's, it's really tough. I was in this spot once in my career, right. Where I had an opportunity with the giants and I got basically equal offers from the giants and the Rams. And a lot of what played into my decision was, Hey, it's New York city, right? It's a winning organization. Um, I, I firmly believed if I went to New York and help them win a championship, that was the goal, right? We've seen Tom Coughlin, Eli, uh, the Mara's like they win championships. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I, I had a choice of equal money though. If the Rams had offered me two or $3 million more at that time, that would have been like 20% of my deal, 15% of my deal. I would have gone to St. Louis and played for the Rams. Like, it, I just think that it depends on where you are financially. I It's my seventh season. I hadn't got a big contract yet. Um, I'd been injured a bunch, and so I had equal money from both teams. And if I had gotten more from the Rams, I probably would have been a Ram. Like, I, there was no upside to playing in St. Louis. They weren't going to be good. I knew that. But two, three million dollars is a lot for a guy in my position at that time. So, you know, with Juju coming off a rookie deal, um, it was a, it was a first round pick, right? So he's got money, um, but it's not it's not like life changing money yet. It's a lot of money, but if it's a choice between going and playing on a shitty team that's going to give him ten to fifteen million dollars more, you gotta take that money, man. You know, year seven, eight, nine, ten. Now, maybe you choose to go somewhere to win a championship. But I can't fault anyone for taking the money. And I get your point's accurate, right? A lot of the teams that offer you the most money are not good football teams. There's a reason why they're bringing you in, right? Because they, they, and they have a lot of cap space. So, but you got to get that money, man. You have to do it. I would be surprised if the Jets do that. Now, speaking of. I'm just saying, I'm just, I just do a random team out there. No, 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 no. I'm saying that's where everybody keeps saying, well, Juju's going to go to the Jets because uh, the New York market and everything. And that's another weird one um, that. hasn't social media in the 21st century rendered big market versus small market a moot point, but then you uh, see, I, is it really that I, big a difference? I mean, I Levy and Bell specifically, I think like, you know, legitimately had hip hop uh, um, interests, wanted I mean, to I, I, get I going mean, in that I mean, career. So I kind of actually get it from that I mean, perspective. LeBron I mean, literally moved to LA to, to play and work on movies. I mean, I still think there's some value to living in one of those cities. If you really want to make connections, 
to kind of a post-career opportunities, right? I mean, I think that if you want to be a social media star and make money off social media, then no, you could be anywhere. But a lot of the big money guys, market guys are in those big cities. And look, it's also, I'm telling you this, the winning part of it is like, if you win in New York City, you're forever a god in New York City. Like if you win in, in Green Bay, you're forever a god in that city. I get that, but would you rather be kind of the man in New York City or the man in Green Bay? Like no offense to Green Bay. Like, so that's why I think a lot of players do flock to bigger cities still. It's so funny because you mentioned you're gonna go to the almost went to the St. Louis Rams where you would have lined up across and practice from one Chris Long. And I'm gonna be on his podcast coming up later in this week to talk about where you would most want to win a title, what teams you would most want to win a title on. So that's uh so that's a a, a, yeah. a perfect thing. I say anecdotally. I've been to the Super Bowls in, you know, small towns and big towns or relatively speaking, yeah. Indianapolis, the entire town for one week. And I think it reflects what would be if you won a title in these towns, Indianapolis, when the Super Bowl was there, it was the entire thing. Like the whole week was consumed for yeah. the for, for the city. Everyone was excited about it. It felt special to be there in New York City. You would have zero idea that there was a Super Bowl. I think that you Miami, do get Miami lost last in year, Miami last year outside of Radio Road. It was there was no idea. I don't know. I always say I'd like to go somewhere. I, it's the same logic I apply to being if I were a 17 year old and I was a great running back, I would rather go somewhere where they didn't have much history of greatness at the at the position so that I would position myself to go down in history as the greatest in school history. I don't want to be like you go to tailback you. Then you just fall in line with a bunch of other. Oh, he's he's yet another in the great lineage. I think it's better to be the one of one, right? Uh, yes, but it's hard to convince young players that it, it, no history of that school being great that you're going to be great there. By the way, um, we're all over the place, and we're going to get to the uh, the main event here. These are all nice little hors d'oeuvres, though, to to chew on as we build up to that. Penny Sewell. I like the idea for the Jets at number two. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is going to go down there, and it sounds like he's going to join Urban Meyer or vice versa one way or the other. We can we can dig in on that if you want to as well, Schwartz, how well that'll work out. Also, by the way, we should talk James Harden for a second, too. Talk about going to a— Well, uh, can I—break can I, uh, breaking news real quick before you get going. Go ahead. Breaking news. Steelers are parting ways with Randy Fitchner, the offensive coordinator. Randy Fichtner. I'm not yeah, surprised Fichtner. by that. That's—you know what? I predict— I'm not surprised by that news. Every, I mean, he was everybody's favorite uh, target in Pittsburgh. But, of course, it was the, as I always called it uh, the last couple of years, the Bendy Fichtenberger offense. So let, let's not jive ourselves. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger was in charge of that offense, just as Mike Tomlin is in charge of the defense, not Keith Butler. People like to point fingers, but Fichtner was basically running an offense that Roethlisberger wanted yeah. to run, and Roethlisberger at the line was changing a lot of the plays. Now, I, to me... My prediction, that's bad for if you want Roethlisberger back in 2021, that's a bad indicator because he Correct. wants his guy. I th 39 year old Roethlisberger is not going to be jazzed about learning a new offense. Agreed. Look at Aaron Rodgers a year ago trying to learn a new offense. Um, interesting stuff there. But um, so, oh, so uh, with, with, with the New York Jets. So now. At number two, I think they have the ability to move down as as far as five if they want to. Um, it, but Sewell, from one, and I, you love your offensive lineman and you love Becton this year and everything else, and obviously you love Sewell as your uh, Duck alumni. Yeah. But um, 
I, I love how that sounds. Like if you we're going to dominate you uh, with Becton and Sewell for the next half decade, I, that sounds like that, that's hard to not work out to some degree. Like if you have those two guys, your offense is in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, unless you have bums at other positions, you know, and I, 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 am I overstating things? If you have two dominant tackles like that, you're kind of solid and hard to just humiliate. Um, yeah, but they need to, they have Mims. Yeah. But if they keep, Dar- but my, my thought is if they keep Darnold and then they have Mims and they, you know, they, they, there's some pieces there that make it like this offense should be fine. As long as you keep Darnold clean, which they now will. But then, all this buzz about Devontae Smith isn't a top 10 guy or a, a, a lower half of the top 10 in the first round. Just won the Heisman as dominant a, a receiver as we've seen in college football. What's the, what, what's the knock on him? He's too little. He's like 165 pounds. He get killed in the NFL. You think, so, so you think he's a John Ross guy? Well, that's the knock. I'm not saying that myself. I have not really put much effort into thinking about this quite yet because college football just ended it. I'm not like a draft, a mock draft dude. Like I don't mm-hmm. really look at them all the time. I just know people are talking about his size and his lack of, of, um, of kind of muscular build as a problem. I mean, I saw Mina Kimes tweet something out like last week about how uh, her and and Devonte Smith uh, share, share the same pant size. Like he is that, <laughs> he's like that little. Like, he's not a big guy and, um. I, there is some concern, I think, about about that. I mean, maybe he's Deshaun Jackson, right? But Deshaun, I think, was not even was bigger than 165 pounds. That's very small. Yeah, he's. It's it, it is funny. Football. I mean, basketball obviously has its seven footers, and then very at this point, very few guys under six three out there. Football has the greatest range in body types. It is crazy that there can be people who look like you, men of certain carriage, out there running around. Um, with their bellies hanging over their belt lines. And then other guys who, like you literally, I, I could put my hands around my thumbs and finger like, around their waists. They have, like, they have inhuman body types, some guys out there. It's really a, a funny thing. You know what I'm saying, right? The, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyhow, let's talk about James Harden, who I could not put. I couldn't put all my arm. I couldn't wrap my arms around him and, and have my hands meet on the other side, looking the way James Harden does these days. What are your thoughts on that deal? Uh, it just goes to show you how much, you know, leverage these NBA players have, right? I mean, he basically tanked this year. He showed up out of shape. Uh, he didn't play very hard. He kind of stood in the corner a lot of times. He do terrible. He was just a bad teammate. It was bad all around, forced his way out. But is the grass greener in Brooklyn? I mean, now you got KD, Kyrie, who's just off the reservation. I, I get it, man. I get that. What's happening in the world is bothering you, and it's bothering me. It's bothering Dave. I don't want to speak for Eddie. I haven't asked his opinion. I'm sure it's bothering Eddie too. It's bothering a bunch of people, but we're still going to work. Like you, got, you kind of still got to go to work, buddy. They're paying you to show up to work, and he's not doing it. And like I don't know what Kyrie's issue is. So now, now you add Harden into the mix, and just feel like it's not going to work. But you need to have three kind of Hall of Fame superstars to beat. LeBron James, that's always been the case. If you look at what the Warriors had to do to beat him, it was, you know, get a bunch of superstars. But I don't know how this works. Who gets the ball at the end of the game? It should be KD, but is it is it Kyrie? Because he, you know, he made that one shot, seven, not seven years ago, four years ago. Is it going to be Harden who wants the ball all the time? I don't, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm here to watch it work. 
I don't think it's going to work. It's interesting because, you know, I've been drinking in a fair amount of NBA in the last couple of weeks here. And it really is, you know, you you remind you to take a couple months off from a sport. But the game is now, you know, if you are under the impression that it's all about isolation, it is about finding matchups, uh, of course. But it, it, it's not as much ISO as it used to be. It is Correct. like inside out kind of stuff always. I, the the pick idea, and roll. A pick yeah, and roll. right. Pick and roll, and right, and and a lot of kicks to yeah. to guys on the perimeter. So I don't think it's as much. I know it's easy to be um, sort of um, cynical about it, like ah, not enough basketballs to go around for those three guys. I kind of think if they're willing to to catch and shoot, which you know KD can thrive in that, and they all three can get in the lane too, and and then um, make that kick pass. I, I I think it has a chance to work. Um, I, I, but I, I, I do, um, forcing his way out the, the Kyrie stuff is, is weird. And I almost don't want to make fun of it. Cause I feel like there's, there's something going on there. I feel like it's yeah, not but me, Kanye but, I mean, level craziness, but, but there's look, some, but there's Dave, some, but look, but Dave, like, again, a lot of us have issues with what's happening around the world right now. We also have responsibilities and no one else in the NBA is taking off time like this, right? Like there's, there is some, don't you have a responsibility? You're under contract. You have a responsibility to, to, to play, right? Or just don't play. Like very simple. Like, I, I, I get it. I get it. We all have different levels of, of dealing with things. Um, I, I, I saw a psychiatrist for many years, sports psychologist for many years. Like I get it. I get it, man. But like, you gotta go to work. Oh, we should job. we should we should get a sports psychologist on this show to get us right before we do it. That'd be a good thing to do. Let's do that in uh, February. Uh, in the meantime, it says here that uh, the playoffs are are my favorite time of the year. They were. I mean, you know, they're are they now? No. Is Eddie Spaghetti having the favorite time of his life right now after Notre Dame lost in humiliating fashion and the Giants didn't get into the mix and even though they were in the bummest of all bum divisions in history no he's not and I think it's rude that other teams have decided to continue playing but here we are I guess I can't wait to bet all the action this weekend on FanDuel Sportsbook we're going to give you our picks in just a second here but listen up this is the perfect time to jump in with FanDuel because just like we did in wildcard week we're running it back in the divisional round 25 to 1 odds boost on any team to win this weekend, 25 to 1, any team to win. Think about that. You got to like one team out there in this mix of the most glorious, still pro football weekend, even in the wild card weekend. I still like the division around a little bit better. Um, I would like it a little bit more if my team would have won last week. But anyway, um, don't miss out on this exclusive offer. Um, easy to use, easy to deposit, easy to find your bet. Odd boosts beyond just this one. Specials every day, super boosts every weekend. Make sure you're jumping in on that one. Multi-game parlays. I'm going to have some uh, some good uh, teasers for you in just a second. Same game parlay, super fun to really make uh, any particular game. If you don't have any rooting interest in it, like uh, maybe Rams. That's some uh, a fun one to throw down. So just uh, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and use promo code MINUS3. That's the most important thing so that you know that Schwartz Spaghetti and I sent you. MINUS3 at the FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code MINUS3. That's the word MINUS, the number three. And uh, Schwartz, as we jump in here, do you want to give your picks now or should we talk to Eric Wood and give them and give our picks on let's, the other side of Eric? Let's talk to Wood? Eric and then we'll we'll do our picks and wrap it up. 
All right, a guy who's been there or who was around the, the early days of Sean McDermott air up there in Buffalo. Things looking awfully rosy. Let's get to him right now. All right, here we go now. Uh, the host of What's Next with Eric Wood. And, of course, uh, a member of the Buffalo Bills uh, just recently and ready to provide some insights on what to anticipate with the Ravens rolling into town now and a whole lot more. Here he is, Eric Wood. What's happening, fella? What's going on, guys? Well, uh, nothing much in Los Angeles. Everybody's uh, turning their eye, I guess, up to what's going to go down in Lambeau. But more importantly, let's talk about what's going down in uh, western New York there. And um, what's the, what's the vibe? Is it is there? Do you suppose, based on the last whatever it is, thirty years or so, what do you what do you glean from the the vibe from the fan base? There is there cautious, cautious optimism? Is there um, unavoidable sort of pessimism? What what, what do you think uh, the state of affairs is? I think both of those are a hundred percent accurate. You know, this is a fan base that struggled for so long to. Um, fully embrace what this team could become this year because you, uh, we're not far from 2017 ended the 17-year playoff drought, which was the longest in the NFL. They got their first playoff win last weekend and the first time in 25 years. Prior to that, you had four straight Super Bowl losses. So it's a, it's a fan base that's scarred, but they're just so passionate. And thanks to Barstool, everyone's gotten to see Bill's Mafia in full force. But, you know, Jeff, you know from playing as well, it's like if you go up to Buffalo for a game, it doesn't matter if it's December and neither team's making the playoffs, <laughs> there's people in the stands oh, and yeah. that does not happen. I'm not saying Buffalo's the only fan base that will do that, but they're one of a few. So does winning this game this past weekend kind of lift like a weight off the franchise? Do you think going forward now, even if they don't win this weekend, but just moving forward with Josh Allen, this weight's been lifted off the franchise. They'll play more kind of relaxed. The fans won't kind of be so uptight about it. There's kind of a relaxed organization now. Yeah, 100 percent. And that comes with, you know, making the playoffs the last three years. But then you got to win that first one. And, and I honestly last week, even me as a just a fan, you know, I'd work with the radio broadcast and all that for the bills but it's like even myself i'm not even a member of the organization of the team i'm not in the front office i was nervous last week you know the bills are 13 and 3 they're a touchdown favorite they're at home in the playoffs you have fans coming back in the stands like i wanted them to win that game so bad that i was like legitimately nervous way more nervous than i ever was as a player and so for me I can't imagine what those guys felt the pressure on the field and they played like it. Honestly, they came out a little tight and I, you know, I, I love their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. And I think Brian Dayball is a surefire pick to be a head coach this off season. But I even thought his play calling was a touch tight or maybe Josh, you know, Josh has a lot of control at the line of scrimmage too, but early in the game, they're running with Josh a little bit more than we've seen the rest of this season, a few more handoffs, no shots down the field. It was almost like, okay, let's not make a big mistake. We can't turn the ball over here. And they played tight early, but they got away with the win. And I'm, I'm anxious to see if they play a little bit looser this week. It's funny you say bring all this up because I've talked about this uh, probably to Schwartz and the audience's, uh, um, you know, dismay how often I bring it up. It's the curse of Sposta. When you're the team that's supposed to win, it's an extra weight around your neck. And it's something that you have to overcome. And the home field, the home crowd can become disadvantageous if things start to go against you. Maybe it's better because I imagine that nervous energy from Bill's long-suffering Bill's fans would have permeated its way down to the sidelines. If you had that 
full stadium. Conversely, though, uh, the other side of that coin is you were part of that 2017 phenomenon squeaking into the playoffs there. You felt maybe a little lucky getting in there. How do you account for then the Cleveland Browns if you're in this spot here? Like they're playing free and easy, I imagine, because they're they're not burdened with any expectation. Is that fair or is that now – is that last week and now what, what, what kind of effort, what kind of mindset do you anticipate them rolling into KC this weekend? Because there's no pressure on them. They're, it's all on Patrick Mahomes and company to repeat. No doubt about it. Yeah, you're playing without maybe your top offensive weapon, maybe the top weapon on your team in Odell Beckham. You were a touchdown favor or touchdown underdog last week. You had all the COVID issues. Kevin Stefanski's not even on the sideline coaching the game. You got Pro Bowl guard Joel Batonio out of the lineup. All the pressure was on the Steelers. They beat them. And, and the Steelers played like it, too. And, man, what an epic collapse of a season that was for Pittsburgh. And yes. we don't have to get down to the ra- that rabbit hole, but, gosh, they looked bad. Go down that rabbit hole. That's what I want to hear about. Tell, tell me this. Both of you guys, actually, would have some insights on this. How You know, we have 17 wor- weeks' worth of regular season evidence it's the, you know, like the Josh Allen factor that, you know, going in and, and and Lamar Jackson, this is a fascinating matchup. And I want to get into that a little bit and off script plays and everything. But the thing you can't anticipate is what explanation, what evidence was there that backups for the Browns could go in there and dominate the Steelers defensive front? Well, I mean, what where does that come from? There's nothing that would indicate in four months that that would happen. I'll say I'll, you, Eric. I'll say this. When you look at the Steelers, if they have their three inside linebackers that are out right now, if you put all three of those guys back in the lineup and you put Bud Dupree opposite T.J. Watt, that's a different defense altogether. That's a totally different defense. The back end's helped out by it. They don't give up that run. Now, to me, Ben Roethlisberger, even though he's carried the load early in his career, they ran the ball all the time. It was Ben managed the game. Then he became more of the star on offense. But they've always had a run game that they could rely on in some way, shape, or form. It was the Le'Veon Bell duo play that everyone, you know, they made famous and everyone else runs it around the NFL, Jeff knows. But Le'Veon Bell is so patient that everyone's like, what the heck is this play? I'm like, (laughs) everybody does it. It's power without a puller. You know, everyone double teams. But they've always had a run game. This year, they were the worst rush offense in the NFL. And you combine that with the amount of drops they had this year, which was well-documented. But without a run game at all, like none, Ben Roethlisberger's never <laughs> been able to just carry the load all himself like that. I, I think, Dave, too, there is a psychological you know factor to this. You know, I, I remember when I was a young player and I was playing, I think it was, a, we were playing Tampa in 2009. And I was, it was my, oh, 2010, I think. And, I was playing an undrafted free agent at like the end. And I remember all week, all the older guys were like, Schwartz, you have it easy this week, man. Like, I, I, I wish I could play this kid. I wish I could do this. And I had my worst game in my career. I absolutely sucked. I had no reason to suck other than just mentally not being kind of as prepared maybe as I would have been. The Steelers heard it all week. Batonio's out. Uh, you know, the, the uh, Stefanski's out. The offensive line coach is out. The assistant offensive line coach is out. And they probably thought – they were going to just walk over Cleveland, win the game, and move on and play Buffalo. And look, the snap by Pouncey was a 15-yard snap. I'm still in awe that it went 15 yards. Like, that kind of set the tone of like, oh, shit, maybe we're not as prepared 
as we need to be. And then they turn the ball over again, and the Browns punch him in the mouth right in the end zone. It's like, oh, shit, what the, what the hell? And then they – another turnover. And so I think, like, it just – and then eventually, look, they they start getting their confidence back. And that, that decision to punt the ball by Tomlin must have been a gut punch to that team because they thought they were going to win that game in that moment, I think. And that kind of just deflated them further. I agree. No, no doubt. And I've had this theory ever since Virginia Tech like had all those guys out early in the season. They go and wax yes. NC State because I, I cover ACC network, uh, cover ACC football. My antenna started going up at that point like, man, this is an interesting concept because they're not the only team that when there's COVID issues kind of going on, the team plays better. And then the Bills, they're supposed to play the Titans on a Sunday. It gets delayed to Monday, then to Tuesday. And the Titans hadn't been in their facility in like a week and a half. And the Bills go down to Tennessee and lay an egg. And I feel like as the season's gone on, like teams that have had COVID issues but still have their quarterback, that's the kicker. If you still have your quarterback and you have those COVID issues, I feel like it almost like locks the team in and binds them. And then there's innately something on the other side, whether it's the game gets delayed, so then you've practiced too much, you've overprepared, you're kind of tired of it at this point. It's that, and then it's exactly what Jeff said. It's kind of just letting your guard down a little bit. Like, okay, well, we got this one. Let's not get hurt. Let's just let's let's do what we need to do. Let's not even show too much on film. Let's just get this W, and then then we'll go in Pittsburgh's case beat Buffalo. It's funny. Uh, well, Schwartz, uh, let's jump in because I do want to. I'd love to hear very actually quick answers before we go into Ravens and uh, and Bills here. Um, Eric, bottom line, Roethlisberger best to retire, be- best situation for Pittsburgh in, in 2021. Roethlisberger moves on. They reduce his cap hit and bring him back for one more with the with the vet group and then completely do a full turnover for 2022 when a lot of those big contracts uh, will move on permanently from the books. That's a decision that they got to make. And and I don't know Ben well enough to know if that he'd be like the perfect one to groom a guy under him. He seems to me that he would want that job. He's always had that job and it'd be like, well, this is my job. So unless they kick him out of the building, he doesn't seem like the Ryan Fitzpatrick type. The come here, bud, I'll put my arm around you. I'll show you the ways. I don't know that personally. Just to me, that's what it seems. And if that's the case and you potentially have a downswing with a bunch of guys, but but to me, they have so much young talent on defense. I don't think Pittsburgh's ever going to be bad enough to go and get the number one pick or even a top five pick. I agree. I, I That's the reality you know, and, and of it. Yeah. With Duck Hodgins as quarterback, like they're never going to be that bad. Right. You're, yeah, exactly. It is interesting in the 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 philosophical sort of um, choice, I guess, that a lot of teams in the quarterback league are, are are now making. I mean, the Bills are a good example of it. You don't have to have a run game. You have to be able to when you need to make a yard. That is the difference. That's what Mike Tomlin said. If you can't make a yard, that's that's my pushback on should they have gone for it on fourth and one at midfield there. Yeah, well, and, Jeff, and Jeff knows this, and you guys both know this, but Jeff knows this from being an offensive lineman. The threat of the run at least just needs to be there. Yes. Because right. you need the defensive line not to just be teeing off on you every play. Yeah. Like for the Bills, 
have two running backs, one's hurt in Moss, but and we'll use this to transition into the Bills. But Devin Singletary last year as a rookie averaged over five yards a carry. He's over four this year, not quite as productive, but he also doesn't get in the flow of a game. So he's over four on the season. Like the threat of run is there. Josh Allen can always take off with his legs. Yep. So the threat of the run's there. So these guys just aren't getting teed off on by D-Lyman the entire game. And as an offensive lineman, that's what you need. And that keeps defensive coordinators at least halfway honest. And, and even even in the pass rush, I think we saw last weekend, especially early in the game, Josh Allen kind of snuck out, especially in those cover two situations. And then the first half, he ran the ball. And the entire second half, all Indianapolis did in pass rush was the inside guys just rushed right up the middle. Like they weren't going side to side. And then the DNs were kind of rushing up. And, and so like it helps everyone when your quarterback is mobile. So let's get to Josh Allen because I well, I do. I do Allen. think because that play action boot stuff is imp- I, 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 I mean, forever. It is unstoppable. If you, it is unstoppable. If you drag a tight end and you have a QB who can run yeah. in short yardage, there is no way a defense can stop that. I, I contend unless you uh, execute poorly. Right. So, I mean, uh, the, but it is weird given that that breeze and Brady are still hanging around here too. They're still in the playoffs. Neither one of those guys can move either, but anyway, go ahead Schwartz with uh, Josh. Right. Allen. So uh, we've had many discussions over Josh Allen over the life of his, uh, his time at the bills quarterback. I've been anti Josh Allen, obviously had, had a great season. So my contention is I was wrong. Obviously he's had a great season. Um, like I know it's easy to say that bills fans saw this coming, but his historic improvement has never been done before. So kind of what is it about his improvement this year that led him to this point? And Brian Dable deserves credit, I think. I think so does uh, um, uh, Jordan Palmer. I mean, everyone who worked with Josh Allen. But this still, this improvement is historic. What do you owe this improvement to? Jeff, you take a lot of heat from Bills fans over this, but there's a lot of Buffalo media members, there's a lot of people that take heat over it. So don't, don't beat no, yourself I don't care. up about it. I was wrong. Like, we're all going to be wrong. And right. the thing about it is I based it off of historical data, which tells you that two years of a below average performance, you're not going to become what Josh Allen did. So he deserves credit for doing that. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, last year I was walking through the, or maybe two years ago, I was walking through the Bills facility and Sean McDermott had a page of quotes listed on a bulletin board. He's got all these things on this bulletin board outside the locker room. And one of them was a lot of stats as far as like how Peyton Manning led the league in interceptions his rookie year and a a bunch of other stats. And those would skew you towards believing this could happen. But um, anyways, I digress. Josh Allen, to me, the only reason that you could maybe see that this could happen a season where, you know, in most years, he wins the MVP this yeah. year, likely second to Rogers. Rogers right. had an unbelievable season. The way, the reason you could maybe have seen this coming is Josh Allen's bad plays were bad, but his good plays were so good. So you always had the hope of like, man, if he could ever just eliminate those like four or five, like really bad plays a game, man, he, he could be so good. But how often does it happen to your point, Jeff? Historically, it just doesn't happen. Yeah he went from being last in the NFL's rookie year in completion percentage to last his second year in completion percentage. So you always just assume Josh Allen's an inaccurate quarterback. I would argue, and you guys know this and Jeff, especially that most quarterbacks in the NFL, even the inaccurate ones, like if you threw hula hoops out there, they could all like throw it through those. So part of being accurate in the NFL is a having guys that can get open and B being on the exact same page as them. 
And that comes from having the same offensive coordinator over and over. So three years in a row, he's had Brian Dayball as an offensive coordinator. He understands the timing better now. He also has Stephon Diggs, who can flat out separate. And so can John Brown and Cole Beasley. None of those three guys were there three years ago. Yeah. Last year, John Brown and Cole Beasley obviously were. And they, they also added Gabriel Davis, who is just – I mean, he's the Bills' fourth receiver, but he's a stud. I mean, he could play the inside, outside. He's big, he's strong, he blocks. He's exactly what you want as a young receiver. So you add all those pieces. Josh is more comfortable. He did some mechanic work in the off in the off season with Jordan Palmer. I think another big reason for it, Jeff, is that the way Brian Dayball is calling plays this year and the high percentage of pass has just yeah. given Josh confidence. Like, okay, it's on me. Okay, you guys trust me. They're running four-minute drills at the end of the game where they're running quick game still because oh, yeah. you would never do that with the least accurate quarterback in the no, NFL. No. But, but they were doing that early in the season. And I think what that led to was Josh knowing, okay, this organization does believe in me. Like, it's on me. Yeah. I got guys that can get open. Let's do this. It's what, it, Dave, we're, 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 go, go ahead. Go ahead. One more question about about Brian Dable. So, <laughs> offense coordinator. If you look at his past, it wasn't that good. He didn't really guide offenses that were that great. Then he went to the Nick Saban School of Rehab. He came out of that, and he's been like, I gotta say, man. I again, like, we don't see this type of shift in coordinators. We don't see a guy that was kind of. You look at the numbers, not that great, and then all of a sudden, boom! Like he calls a great game. Guys are wide open. What do you owe that improvement to? Is it just going to, to Alabama and learning some things? And then is it is it just being flexible and adaptable? Because the offense itself is much different, I think, this year than any other year. Yeah, I think flexible and adaptable is, is maybe the best word to describe it. He also spent a ton of time under Josh McDaniels in New England. So you combine that. And then um, I've talked to people that have been around him. Brent Key, the offensive line coach at Georgia Tech, yeah. was with him at Alabama. And yeah. he said – that Brian Dayball learned a lot of those concepts, uh, some of this RPO stuff, some of the read game from Alabama. So you take a lot of what Josh McDaniels was doing in the run game and and some in the pass game, a lot of play action took from New England. He took a lot of college concepts from his time spent at Alabama, and then you combine that with just combining – you know, more traditional pass concepts down the field this year. I mean, the Bills, I never thought I'd say this. The Buffalo Bills lead the NFL in four wide receiver sets in 10 personnel. They lead the NFL. Are you kidding me? I would, you know, when I was there, even when we had Chan Gailey, who's a spread them out shotgun all day, we never even came close to leading the NFL in 10 personnel. I don't like. Listen, I I, I am uh, on the record as not being a Ravens guy. I do like the Ravens, though. Going forward here, with all due respect, I'd like to see the Bills win. They're America's team, after all. Everyone can get behind the Buffalo Bills and their fan base. Um, I I think that the um, the reason I like the Ravens going forward here, and I've liked them the last six weeks, isn't so much Lamar Jackson's offense. It's the defense, potentially. And as it's getting right, and we just saw them stuff Derrick Henry, but I think in this one, with a Bills team that doesn't run around very much, that back end is what's scary if I'm Josh Allen. And, uh, you know, between Marcus Peter, well, we know who's on that defense. How say you? How do they go at making plays? They don't have much of a run game. I don't think they're going to make hay on the ground. So, how does Allen get off against uh, probably the best secondary in football? 
You know, it's interesting because when you look at statistically Baltimore's defense, they give up 4.6 yards per carry. So everyone talks about how bad the Bills rush defense is at times. They literally give up the same yards per carry as the Baltimore Ravens defense. Mm -hmm. But this Ravens defense is peaking at the end of the season. They haven't given up more than 14 points in the last four games. But when you look at their personnel on defense, it's a nightmare for an offensive line looking across because – Brandon Williams and Justin Ellis inside are two of the best run stuffers. You have Derek Wolf, who I played against many times when he was in Denver. He's a dog. And then on the outside, they trade for Yannick Ngakwe. They have Kalias Campbell. They have Matt Judon and Pernell McPhee. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, there's mm-hmm. not even enough, like, pass rush reps to go around there. And then – I would say the weakness of their defense is their two middle linebackers. They're both rookies. They were first and third round draft pick this year out of LSU and Ohio State. They're talented players. They make splash plays. That would probably be the weakness of their defense. And then uh, you mentioned their secondary already. To me, uh, Don Martindale last year against the Buffalo Bills, I don't know if y'all know this, ran cover zero blitz 16 times. I actually give credit. I actually give credit to the Baltimore Ravens for the Bills having – Stephon Diggs right now, the receiver that led the NFL in catches and receiving yards. I give the Baltimore Ravens credit because they basically said, you can't get open on the outside by the time our free hitter comes. That's unheard of. In the NFL, two cover zero blitzes in a game is like a ton. Yeah, They did it 16 times. (laughs) And you know what it led to? Six sacks, an interception, a forced fumble and a fumble recovery, and 146 yards passing. I don't think they can do that again this year, though. They got Buddy Ryan, in other words, is what you're saying. They dip back in the the, the mid-80s in Chicago there. Yep. Josh Allen's number one in the NFL against pressure this year, like with his with his passer rating and his touchdowns, and because I think it is Stephon Diggs. And so I'm curious that the Ravens decide it's not their, it's not what they do to kind of sit back in coverage. Like the Colts did that, right? The Colts rushed four most of the game, sat back in coverage, tried to find ways for Josh Allen to make mistakes. Do you think the Ravens can afford – to pre- they blitz 30% of the time. Like I don't think you can do that against Josh Allen. Yeah, they lead the league in blitz percentage. Yeah. I, you know, in, in blitz percentage, you know, they're bringing five rushers. They're a, you know, it's like. Thank you. I hate that. A 3-4 under team yeah. bringing a fifth rusher is not a blitz. Yeah. NFL, correct your stats, please. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for that. Uh, and, 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 and every play action pass out of the shotgun is not an RPO. Correct. <laughs> Thank you. That, yes. That's my biggest pet peeve. But, All right, uh, let's go ahead. But I will say, um, I, I think that they're going to test. You have to see if it works again. You know, you have to see. Now, you have had the biggest sample size of the NFL. Josh Allen is best against the blitz, and this amazes me. He's been fa- he's been blitzed 244 times on the season. That's the most times anybody, any quarterback's been blitzed in the NFL. Now, it helps that Miami's got the second highest blitz percentage in the league. We played them twice. You know, that, that skews those numbers. But he torched the Dolphins who have the number one scoring defense in the NFL. Yeah. Would it be better? A couple things real quick for you, Eric. Would it be better? Sean McDermott's done gangbusters work three out of four years in the postseason since he arrived there. The only thing missing for him is he's not rugged. He looks too much like Caillou. He Should he grow like a Fu Manchu mustache? Would that be of value? Would that Would that harden him a little bit? Potentially, but the funny thing is, like, he's so routine, regimented. Like, even if he grew something, it would be like the most meticulous. Like, you'd you'd probably be like, nah, we wanted like something gruffier. Then maybe he needs to go back to like the '60s look and just wear a suit and tie. That that's intimidating in its in its own way. Also, the other question I have to ask every Buffalo Bills person: Do you know? Don't you think if you guys lose this one? 
And this is a magical year. Maybe it's time to turn the page from being called the Buffalo Bills. The city is named after a buffalo, and then the team's named after the guy who tried to kill all the buffaloes. Is that weird to you? <laughs> buffalo Bill Cody. That's who they named the team after. Strange. Yeah, you're right. Maybe yeah. it's <laughs> no, no, it's not time. It's not no. time. All right. Okay. Final pick from you, Eric Wood. We appreciate all the time here uh, today. Uh, what do you think happens up there in Western New York? I think the Bills cover. Uh, we're, we're obviously mm. not betting. We're not betting anything. No. On here, that makes it super easy to choose that one. Uh, and I'll, I'll stick to my Homer ways. But but I think the Bills get it done. I, the Bills didn't play very good last week and still put up 27 yeah. points. You know, I, I just think they get it done. They're going to break Baltimore streak. Last year, the Bills had Lamar Jackson's number, held him to under 200 total yards. Sean McDermott's going to be prepared. I think the Bills get it done. And Lamar has – my boy Lamar, and I absolutely love Lamar Jackson. I'm a, you know, I'm a Louisville grad. He's one of the most likable people on the face of the earth if you spend yes. any time with him. Yep. Lamar Jackson has never played in the snow before, ever. So he might get his first shot this weekend. That's got to be a thing. And yet everybody else is, like I always say, everybody else is from Florida and Texas and California too. Even the Buffalo Bills players largely are too. But still, something about your blood, uh, your skin does toughen up when you spend some time up there in the cold. Anyway, Eric Wood, you're going to go talk to Sean McDermott right now, right? Yep. I have uh, one minute to hop over to do interview him for the pregame show. So I'll try and tick him off and get him all fired up before he goes to practice today. <laughs> Give him our ideas about the mustache or the suit or whatever else. Uh, but we appreciate all the Thank time you, there. Yep. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Be well. The great Eric Wood, everybody. Oh, what a fella. What a short you said. I'd love him. And I did. You were correct. Eric is fantastic. You know, it's funny, though. I didn't want to say it and embarrass you in front of your friend. He is a representative of the other side. Offensive linemen, as soon as they retire in this era, they go one of two ways. It, it, it reveals the true self of the offensive lineman. Now I'm regretting I didn't bring this up to him, actually. You guys go one of two ways. Either the like you retire and then you disappear for like four months and then you reemerge and you're unrecognizable because you've lost 170 pounds or you retire and four months later you look like you and you've gone the other way. You, you've, you've packed on. You, you were keeping yourself trim for pro football. Uh, I'm, I haven't packed on weight since I retired, but uh, the, the, some I'm guys actually, explode though. Some I'm guys not, really let I'm it go. Less, now that I was in college, like I Is was back in college. Yes. So I had to always lose weight to play football where Eric would have gained weight to play football. Right. So like, I'm not going to lose a bunch of weight when I'm done playing and I'm healthy. I've lost 35 pounds this year. All right. I'm, good. I'm, I'm happy really for you. This year, but the last year. Um, so like, I'm like, I'm losing weight. I'm healthy, but I'm never going to be Eric Wood. Like as much as I get, like it's just not going to happen. I mean, I'm like I'm, I, I don't know where that it's coming from. Like I don't know where all this is going to lose. So uh, yeah, but Eric, good for Eric. He lost a bunch of weight. Well, your brother is still in pro football shape, and he's got is a he? big one. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. He's he's chasing the football. I chasing the Lombardi Trophy uh, second in a row, and I want to talk about whether or not he's going to get it. In fact, let's do it right now, shall we, Schwartz? Let's kick it off with our favorite bets, our best bets of the weekend, win, play, show. I'll get us going here. My win bet, the one I'm most confident in, is a teaser. I'm going to go with a teaser. I got three teasers for you, as a matter of fact, each one specific to a game. I'm going to go with here. Here's the tease. Baltimore, plus eight and a half, up from the two and a half that we have it at right now. And the over, 
I'm bringing that down to 44 and a half. These two teams are going to exceed 44 and a half. I don't know how that one doesn't come through. How say you, Schwartz? I love Baltimore to win the game outright. So I don't. I, I like them too. I got them plus two and a half. So the over there is fifty and a half. And Eric talked about how they did against them last year. I think it's a different. It's a different Ravens rushing attack. The Ravens um, are number one in the NFL at rushing against a light box, right where there's not a lot of guys in the like not packed box. On the flip side, the Bills are the worst in the NFL defending uh, the run against a light box. So there's there's just you have a, a and we've seen this year too. And the, the four closest games the Bills have played in the last three months, Chiefs, Colts, uh, Patriots, and uh, Cardinals, all those teams rushed for almost 180 yards or more. Like, it, it's that's how you get to them. And the Colts should have won that game last weekend. Yep. The concern I have is, is the pressure. We talked about it. Baltimore, if they don't get home with their pressure, Josh Allen's going to have a big day. But I think I th- I'm going to bet they're going to do it. And, Dave, Josh Allen's still prone for the YOLO play once a game. He did it. He fumbled the ball at the end of that game. You had great timing with that. You said, here here comes a Josh Allen YOLO play, and then sure enough, he fumbled the ball, and that would have been the end. I mean, they probably lose the game if uh, the Colts fall on the fumble that he had late there. So I'll go with the Ravens here. I, I mean, and I also think, and it's something we keep pointing to, and and by the way, this coddling of of QBs, this pseudo-coddling of guys, uh, you know, about like, oh, get off Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson needing to win playoff games. You know, they're young guys, and that's a, a lame yeah. narrative and all that. Yeah, it matters. If you, of it, course. It, why, why, do we pretend, why, why do we pretend it doesn't matter? I don't understand that. Like, people were like, if you Lamar Jackson Mina Kimes, loses, Mina Kimes is big. Well, Mina Kimes is big on that. She and I go back and forth all the time about that one. Like, oh, QB wins. That's a that's that makes you seem dumb when you when, when you bring that up. Of course, it matters if you don't show up. If you if the playoffs, the team, does, yeah, right. Of course, if the team's built around you, it's the star QB, and it's only going to get worse for Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Allen as they move into those second contracts, and they are sucking up even more of the loot, and so there's going to be less talent around them. They better win in this period now and establish that they can get it done. In January, um, it, it, it's nonsense. I think when people say that, but okay. So now both those guys don't have to concern themselves with that. But I also think it's important for the Ravens that they did it again. They went down ten, and it was like, oh man, here they. they this offense is. I mean, if they can't figure out how to rally and continue to do what they have done. You know, for two years, two and a half years now, if they have to get off of that because they fall down 10 points in a game, well, then this is officially throw that offense out the window time. You cannot continue to go with go at it. But then after Lamar Jackson throws an atrocious deep ball pick, then all of a sudden they they refound their soul. It was like, we got to play the way we play. And that's what they did. Right. Did I see that, that, that correctly? That, that that Well, actually, they unlike previous years when they were down and kind of panicked, they just stuck with their offense. That's what I'm saying, and right? They didn't. They didn't right. say, "Well, we got to we we'll throw it and, out the window. We got to start slinging it and all that over." Touchdown run by Lamar Jackson on that scramble, man! Like that Geary hit from like the 30 to the end zone was incredible. And while their offense wasn't great, only 20 points against a bad Tennessee defense, I think though that kind of weight is lifted, right? They're they're free now That's of that right. conversation of like, oh, can they win a playoff game? Can they not? The defense played fabulous. So I like them this weekend. I think the well, but I think also you saw that from Josh Allen too. There are things that happen sometimes that you just cannot, there's not, doesn't make a difference what you uh, want to do and how prepared you are for it. That Lamar Jackson run, 
couldn't be stopped. And even more so the Josh Allen, two scrambles late in the first half that then in spite of the Colts outplaying them, yeah. made you think like the bills are still going to win this game because of Josh Allen. He made those two scrambles and threw a couple of lasers, both caught by Gabe Davis. That, uh, on the sideline that were just crazy, two crazy throws and plays by the guy that you can't account for. And I guess that's what you get at the highest level of pro football. And that's why these guys imagine though, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, I know they have Kyler Murray, but there's still some, some questions now about going forward with what they're going to do with Kingsbury and how yeah. effective that's going to be. Imagine though, that you took, I always like looking at those teams. The Bears get a lot of junk for the Mitch Trubisky pick over Deshaun and Mahomes, of course. But imagine if you're the Cardinals at 10 and you are that, I mean, the 83 draft class, you have obviously Marino and Kelly and Elway, but also in there, Blackledge and Ken O'Brien and Tony Eason. If you're on the wrong side of that, it's embarrassing for generations to come. The Cardinals, they took Josh Rosen and around there. Now Baker Mayfield's in the divisional round. Josh Allen's in the, and Lamar Jackson is, and Sam Darnold is at least an intriguing figure to some teams. He's he's either going to stick with the jets or try to play savior replacement in another spot. By the way, I'm sorry to, one other thing I got to ask you about the Steelers. I know I got to go way back to the Steelers to to satisfy spaghetti. Is it crazy if the Steelers did if if Ben Roethlisberger were to retire uh, today because he's mad about Feekner or whatever? He feels like he doesn't have it. He wants to help the franchise out that helped him. If he, why is it impossible that they could go get Matt Stafford? Why or, or Dak Prescott? Like replace that level of loot. You're not going to draft a guy at 24. You're not going to get a guy that is the Mac Jones is not. I, I like I know people slide. Oh, Kyle Trask. Well, that there you go. There's his reply. No, well, Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. Yeah. I, that's that's the answer. I don't I don't. Th- Dak Prescott, given the structure of things, a ready to win defense and all of that. I think what you do is you target one of the, if Roethlisberger is willing to move aside, I think that's what you do. You go get another high end QB. And you're gonna have to pay him that level lot, of loot, but that lot, I know lot of money, a lot of money to do that. I, I, Pittsburgh has to decide if they're gonna do um, kind of a mini rebuild on the fly, or just decide to go all in with Stafford again. I, I don't know if they can afford to spend all that money on Stafford, who's been you know unfortunately hurt more often lately. Yeah, true. Um, I guess that's fair. I just it feels like a, I think if the Steelers really want to get aggressive, they need to um you know, they just need to to go trade up for quarterback. Like they just be aggressive. Just go go do it, man. I guess. I I I don't know. I mean, you know, Darnold maybe, but you know, they, also that's just a name guy, a name brand guy who's super talented, but he also has a pick problem and that has never gone away. So I there are a lot of imperfect answers out there. I don't I, people are awfully glib about like oh, it's it's over for Roethlisberger. Like I I think we have reached QB saturation in in, in the NFL. I don't know right now in the next 4 months who the capable answer is there. I think there's some interesting ones, but they come with strings, like you say, injury prone, big contracts. But I think I do happen to know that the Steelers would have taken Dak Prescott had he been there in the fourth round um, a few years ago. I know they liked him quite a bit coming out of school. Um, Anyway, sorry about that uh, little detour there. You and I are both going to take the Ravens plus two and a half, the over at 50 and a half. That was my win pick is the teaser I just gave you. Um, Eddie Spaghetti, what's your pick on this one? 
Well, right off the bat, I do weirdly like the over. I know we talked about uh, Jeff mentioned that the Ravens offense didn't look that great for a, a bad Titans defense, but we know for sure the Bills are going to score. Uh, they're going to score points, and it's at forty nine and a half. And I think the Lamar Jackson will open it up. I think the, the you know the ground and pound attack they'll score on the on the Bills. Um, in terms of the game, I do like the Bills at home. I think that you know they're they'll cover this game. I think it'll be more than a field goal. It's at two and a half right now. Now, um, I like the Bills in this one. I, I think I think the Bills are going to give the Chiefs, I'm giving this away, a, a run for their money in the AFC title game. So I'm I'm pro Bills. I'm probably a little bit more pro Bills than you guys are. I, I mean, you know, it, it really is a, to me, and I don't want to oversimplify, it feels like it's a Josh Allen game. It's a, If Josh Allen doesn't dominate, the Ravens have every – I don't see where out there with specific matchups – o-line versus uh d-line this receiver versus that uh that i mean i the it feels to me like the ravens have the advantage in just about every one of those matchups there i I, i'm not even sure exactly why uh the bills are given the points here but um so be it uh schwartz what's your best pick of the weekend so i like the chiefs over 32 and a half 33 points i think that's what's sitting right now um the chiefs off a bye with Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, have scored 31 twice, 35, 40 twice, and 51 points. The 31 games were against the Colts' defense in 2018, had a good defense, and the Niners in the Super Bowl. Otherwise, they smash bad defenses. And guess who is a bad defense? That would be the Cleveland Browns. 25th in overall DVOA. 29th on deep passes, 29th on third down, 28th on passes to the tight end. I saw a story where uh, Pat Mahomes spent the entire week, or maybe weekend, scouting all the possible defenses they might face. So that would have been like the Browns, the Ravens, uh, and uh, the Colts, right? Yeah, Browns and the Colts. And that he had notebooks full of of already figured out game plan tendencies and stuff like that. (laughs) They played poorly last time he played against Atlanta. I think the Browns are walking into a buzzsaw this weekend. Hmm. I'll take the Chiefs over their point total again. I don't know if point totals are posted at the time we're recording this. I think by just looking at the number and doing some math, it's about 33. And I would go over the 33. I, You know, it's such a heavy point total in the divisional round. And I guess what people will look at is um, how do the Chiefs stop Chubb and Hunt? I mean that that by being, and that, up, by being up 21-7 in the second quarter and the Browns right. being forced to throw the ball. That's what I, I, I that that's what it comes down to for me. This and we'll see it here, you know, it's the same thing as uh, as it was a year ago. Yeah, but Derrick Henry will just play keep away the whole game. We you and I are on the same page that that is not going to be I I told our uh, our pal Mark Sessler, uh the diehard Browns fan, muzzle tough again to him on his uh his team's disgusting victory. Um but that's what I said to him. I, I just don't think that that's enough. Baker Mayfield is going to have to um, steer this thing because you can assume that the Chiefs are going to be in the mid-30s at least. And so how are the Browns coming up with that point total themselves? Exactly. Right? Um, and I, I also think this one goes over. That's uh, my my third most confident pick of the, of the weekend. Another tease for you. KC minus four over 51 and a half if you like that one. But yeah, KC minus the 10 and over the 57 and a half. I like on the, uh, in this game. Eddie, 
Uh, yeah, and to, to answer what Jeff said, uh, the fan duel right now, if you go on fanduel.com slash minus three, they have the Chiefs at 34 total points uh, for that one. I, I'll take it. I like the Chiefs um, to win this game. Um, I would not be shocked if the over hit. In terms of the points, though, laying 10, I I don't know if it's because of this. Yeah, you know, crossing 10, like when you're hitting 10 in a playoff game, to me, it's it's a lot. And then also the, the Chiefs did come off the bye. And now the new, you know, whether it's college or it's pro, people now say if you have the bye, if your guys are rested, they're not as sharp and are playing as as well as they usually do. Um, part of me wants to agree with Jeff and just say they're going to just show up and Mahomes is going to house them. The Browns look like they don't belong. But I have this weird feeling that as long as the Browns can control the ground game with uh, with Chubb and Hunt, which they can, they'll score some points. Um, hopefully, you know, keep the ball in Mahomes' hands. I I think it will be um, like a eight or nine point victory for for the Chiefs in this one. So I think the the uh, the Browns will cover. I guess so. And, 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 you know, and then we also talk about psychology. The Browns are so up over their dreams at this point. They they reacted to winning the the exactly. wild card round. But I also think that that then liberates them, that they have zero pressure. That's great. I wouldn't want, you know, better to play with no pressure than uh, than feeling the weight of the world. I mean, some on some level, Patrick Mahomes is stepping out there with a chance at history. If he considers that at all. Um, that's, that's a burden. I would think like, man, I could, you know what? I could, I could win two straight Super Bowls uh, here. And I don't think Pat thinks like that. No, why? Why? why, I I mean, I agree that especially the younger guys, it's one of those things in, you know, just as old people always lament, like, ah, youth is wasted on the young. It's the same dynamic. Like veterans always say, these young guys, they don't understand it. They don't, they, don't, they don't understand. You only get so many chances at it. And the reason you always hear them saying that is because it's impossible to make a young person understand that. You can Correct. you can say it a million times. They're still not going to get it. And that's what's good. And that's why I also, by the way, always say, give me youthful, uh, give me give me youth and athleticism over yeah. veteran savvy. I think veteran savvy is overrated. Give me the more talented uh, guy. Give me the more have talented. a little bit of both on your team but but okay. now the chiefs even though mahomes is young they've done it right they're, they're veterans they went to super bowl they won the super bowl like they're 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 a combination of both yeah i suppose yeah true true enough yeah. uh, oh, bottom line is go away browns and also same goes for you rams go fine i i, I don't mean the your your fan base have a good time and everything and it, it's been neat but we want good uh, title games and Casey hosting either one of those uh, uh, other teams and Rogers hosting either old man, but that is a, a glorious I, title I, game. We I could go, I could go right there because my, my show bet um, is going to be, what was it right here? I think it's what win play win play. Yeah. Show bet green Bay minus six and a half. I like green Bay to, to, to beat the Rams. I think the line under being under seven is a great, it's a great value here. Guys, there's talk this week that Goff might not start again, which confirms what I thought this weekend. That's Goff right. Goff was benched. He was benched. What the hell? But, uh, but how? So you're telling me that, that John Walford, whoever this kid is, is going to go into Lambeau Field for his first big playoff game. I mean, he played, you know, he played a quarter the other day, right? He didn't play the whole game. So we go iconic Lambeau Field, face that Packers team, and beat them? Like, get out of here with that. I don't beat them. I, I, I don't think it's a small matter. You know what, Spaghetti? Do you mind to uh, see if you can uh, look at what the weather's supposed to be up there? It's um, not going to be rainy, but to be about 35 degrees. All right. That's not so bad. Um, I mean, Jared Goff needs to understand who he is, and it sounds like he hasn't made a peep 
as far as I know. There's nothing uh, emerging that I've heard in the last week and a half. But he has to understand who he is. Like he cannot bell. He's not one of those guys who can bellyache his way out of a situation. Like I have been disrespected, and I demand that I, you know. He's Jared Goff, so good for him that he seems to get that and isn't complaining. But what a slap in the face. He, yeah. John Wolford, the, the coach, would rather have that guy, Mr. Mustache, six yeah. feet of him or whatever he is, um, over you. That's grim. I mean, I do. obviously the defense has been mighty there, and I don't understand. To me, by the way, everybody say, got to get an offensive coordinator, got an offensive mind in today's game. That's what you need to have as your head coach. I, I still like – I actually would go and get Staley and say – and turn an offense over to some brilliant offensive mind and say that's yeah. all your business and and uh, I'll no, take care of the The problem is that the offensive mind is going to leave in two years. That's true if he's, an, if he's a coordinator rather yeah. than the head guy. Touche, yeah. touche. Um, all right, I, I, I'm with you. I'm taking the uh, the Packers minus the six and a half. I'm going under forty five and a half um, on this one, just because I don't see uh, know where the how the Rams are going to hold up their end of that bargain. And in fact, that's my place bet of the week. The teaser, the Packers down to just giving half a point, and the under fifty one and a half. I like all three of my uh, my win play show bets there. Um, Spaghetti, give us your Packers Rams pick. What I love about this game is the under. Um, I know it's pretty low. It's crazy to see a Packers game at a 45 and a half as it sits right now on FanDuel. But the Rams aren't going to score points because there's obviously issues at quarterback for them. Their defense is great. So if the Packers normally score, let's just say in the 30s, the mid 30s, but the Rams defense, you probably drop down a little bit. But the Rams aren't going to score the ball. Like if I mean, the Packers know to key in on, on Cam Makers, stop the run game. If you're not going to trust John Wolford to beat you, if he's the one that's playing, but right now we don't even know. So <clears throat> I love the under in this game. And um, I think, and, and again, if you have quarterback problems, I mean, no matter how good your run game is, no matter how good, good your defense is in the playoffs, you're going to need to to score points um, via your quarterback. Somehow I like Rogers in this game to, to help the Packers cover the, uh, the six and a half. The one thing I'll say, Schwartz, is um, I'm older than you, so I remember the 85 Bears, and then I'm sure you're old enough to remember the 2000 Ravens, and then the 2017 Jaguars. Every once in a blue moon, feels like about once a generation, a defense is sufficiently mighty and dominant enough that it can just knuckleball its way through the playoffs. The Jags almost did that, even in New England. They almost got to a Super Bowl. And that's a great conversation, whether or not they would have beaten the Eagles in that Super Bowl. Either way, um, is the Rams defense good enough? I mean, we're 60 minutes away from them going in there. And it's not like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers haven't had some troubles in the division around over the course of his history um, coming off a bye. Um, Is there any do you suppose that this Rams defense is good enough that like 60 minutes from, uh, you know, on Monday will be like, man, oh, man, this Rams defense is just too good. It's weird. They can beat anybody. It doesn't. It uh, uh, Spoiler alert. I don't think it is. But I, I you know, it, it's starting to have that vibe to it. I think their defense plays really well this weekend, but I don't think it's enough because their offense won't give them. I mean, if the Packers play their worst game on offense, where they're just going to score probably 21 points, maybe. That's about right. That seems about right. And I think the Rams will have trouble scoring 21. I, you know, they are doing better against the run and everything. So I don't know how I, I just don't see where the Rams are scoring their points. But I mean, man, uh, uh, again, I know I talk about it all the time, but if you're at home and all of a sudden, I don't know, Jalen Ramsey or whatever, pick six this year or whatever, all of a sudden you start getting real tight 
all of a sudden, like, uh oh, like we got to figure out how to scratch out some points. And then you're just one play from Goff or Wolford away from like, man, oh, man, they, you know, they put up 17 points, 20 points. Like then they're really going to be hard to overcome. But I I think that I think the Packers will be able to figure out a way to scratch out just enough that I, I. I'm very nervous about that six and a half. That's a lot of points to be throwing um, at anybody playing the Rams right now. I feel like. All right, let's bring it on home though, with the uh, with the big one, the two forty something year old men, Breeze and Brady. You and I go back and forth, uh, Schwartz, about this one. I say that the old cliche. You uh, you said it just last week. It's hard to beat the same team three times. I go the other way on that. If you've already beaten them twice, why would you think that this one's going to go the other way? I said that. I I never said. No, that. you said you said the other way. You said it's hard to beat the same team three times. Well, numbers have never shown that. I think in this specific case, Tampa Bay's is just a different team than the, the time the Saints played them. It is hard to do that. Obviously, the numbers don't show that out. But Tampa is a different offense than when the Saints played them nine weeks ago. It's been that long since they played it? They played their second game? They played week nine, yeah. What is it? Because Tony Romo said that when they were getting smoked, um, I think it was by the Chiefs maybe even, um, whichever game it was, Tony Romo in the fourth quarter just said out of nowhere with no evidence to, to, to my untrained eye throughout like, Tom Brady has figured something out here. This is a, they, they figured something out for the long haul. Now they're in good shape going forward here. I really like this Tampa team. I was like, what did you just see Romo that makes you say that in the midst of this blowout, what is going on with this bucks team that suddenly they have turned a corner? Well, offensively, they're doing a lot more play action pass, which Tom Brady is really good at, which, which Bruce Aarons has been like resistant to doing. And they're doing a lot of pre-snap motion now. So Brady's getting in a better rhythm of what he used to do which I think is, is important. Plus now he's incorporated kind of the deep passing part of Bruce Arians offense into what he does well. So I think both those things are going well, but the thing, the thing that makes this game, I like the under, by the way, in this game under 52 is the saints. The saints defense is, I do too. is matched up well against Tampa. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore, the saints cornerback has played Mike Evans since 2017, right? Twice a year. Uh, there's been some injuries here and there. He's only allowed nine catches to Mike Evans. Like th- this game is, it's just set up. I think both defenses are the strength, right? Tampa's defense stops the run really well. Levante David is really good in coverage against Alvin Kamara. Uh, I just think the defense is the way to go. This is the game I have no feel for. Like I don't really, I, I don't, I don't feel for this game. I'm, I, I'm completely with you. I'm more confident in all three other games. That's why I left this off my win play show picks there. Same. Um, and I'm going to go against everything I just said about beating the same team three times. I'm going to take Tampa in part on Romo, in part on Schwartz, um, and in part and primarily on Drew Brees, Drew Brees in this one. That offense has – I know that they have played very little together with his two best weapons and two of the best weapons in football and Kamara and Michael Thomas. They're both – There, it feels like this is the healthiest that trio has been and ready to roll this season. Um but the offense, it's not been great. Is anybody is anybody paying attention to that? It's yeah, so it, it's I the, the it, offense isn't good enough. I, I I know that Brady has had his ups and downs. That offense yeah. has been like, what the hell? How did they not succeed with Evans, Godwin, and uh, Antonio Brown back yeah. there? But they are now thriving pretty consistently. So it's worth pointing out that New Orleans in the postseason is not quite the same offense that they're on the regular season. The last four postseason games they've had, they've, they've scored between 20 and 23 points. That's it. It's very Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox effect. 
their guys. I I, I use that uh, whatever it is, simile or metaphor analogy all the time. Certain guys, certain teams are effective against bottom feeder teams in midseason. When you try to do the same things against the high-end teams or the high-end players, you're not going to have the same level of success. I think that that is not a fluke at this point. I know that the Saints almost got those Super Bowl uh, a couple years ago, bad call and otherwise. And by the way, that's that's the nightmare game. Don't give me Saints and Rams. I don't need that redo. I don't need a week's worth of coverage of like, remember now, you'll remember this is a chance for the Saints and Drew Brees oh, to get geez. back. I, I don't I, I don't want to have to. There are too many potentially far, uh, far more captivating storylines for a week than that one. I don't want to have to sit through that crap and shame the devil if uh, if the Saints got the Super Bowl. I don't care about looking back at oh, where this season started, this 2020, where it started with the acrimony with Drew Brees and the play. I don't want to – I don't need a week or two weeks of that build up to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't want any of that job. I'm going to yeah. take the Buccaneers here. I think their defense isn't as good as the Saints, but I think that at, it, it's starting to peak. In my book, it took a little too long. It's weird that it did take so long, but Antonio Brown is not a small matter. Is now starting yeah. to to make plays week in and week out too. I think Tampa Bay has too much. And by the way, I talk about I love to project into Monday and what the conversation is, and like I say, what the story could be about the Rams or otherwise. I mean, if we're talking, what if Tom Brady gets to the title game for real after after all this and all the distractions of the four months of the regular season when the Buccaneers kind of took a second tier level to Russell Wilson's blow up and what's great about the Steelers and what's bad about the Steelers and is Baker good enough and all the different things that people talk about over the course of a season. If 43 year old Tom Brady gets to a title game, sweet Jesus. I mean, right. I mean, it's just, it, it it'd really be, is. Be it incredible. Really, with Cementus place is the best quarterback of all time. It really is weird. And then what we I see, that's why we got to root for him at Rogers, because then that peaks these storyline things about in the quarterback league. You can always talk quarterbacks 365 and it's always interesting. But if it lines up right, if you get Brady against Rogers in the title game with a trip to the Super Bowl and then whoever wins that is fascinating if they get Mahomes on the other right. side of that or it's Lamar Jackson. Well, can this guy finally get over the can, can he get with this kind of an offense? Can that get over the hump? Oh, Josh Allen, people slept. A- any of those matchups are great. Just go away Browns, go away Rams and we're <laughs> and we're golden, right? Agreed. Yeah, agreed. And I, the Saints I'm not that excited about either. I think they're going to fall apart at some point. Um anyway, all right, um, let's wrap it up there because we have to get over to um, to some NHL talk. Another one. Bad week for teams wearing black and gold playing gross teams that wear orange. First, the Browns vanquish the Steelers. Then the NHL puck uh, is dropped and the Flyers uh, go about beating the Penguins. I don't care for that either. Um, Schwartz, you can stick around here, but Eddie Spaghetti is about to debut a brand new segment. Take it away there, Spaghetti. All right, Eddie Spaghetti here at the back end of the Minus Three podcast. I know for those of you listening, you're used to tons of Pittsburgh Steelers football talk, but now uh, football season's winding down, puck season's starting up, and I'm bringing in a very talented Michael Sicoli, helping me out here to talk some puck with you guys, uh, a little bit of NHL 20. 
21 preview. I'm the Rangers fan. He's the Islanders fan. So we're going to hit a little bit on the Mass Mutual division. First off, uh, I'm wearing the uh, Fisherman. Oh, Fisherman. It's, I was going to say, it's, great. it's very um, that's, that's awesome. I know a lot of people hate it. I like to hear Dave's take on it. For sure. I definitely think it's one of the best logo in uh, hockey history. Yeah, and I will add to all the new retro jerseys they added. Pretty much 98% of them are great. I love yeah. the Rangers Lady Liberty one. I mean, across the league, there's just so many good options. Some are a little boring. Some just went like plain white. Uh, kind of like, I guess it's the whole point of it is a reverse retro, but right. really good job uh, by the NHL there to to add those. It's, just, it's awesome. The Islanders really bought shares. I mean, I know Lou's kind of no-nonsense guy, but it would have been fun yeah. to have a, a fisherman back on the thing. But to start with the Islanders, their odds in terms of you know where they rank in the in the uh, division it's actually they're they're pretty close to the rangers which is kind yeah. of surprising considering you know everyone says the the islanders overachieve the past few years but when you do for two years in a row you know you might just start to think you're kind of good they have one of the best fourth lines in the game their first line i love matt barzell he's a he's a really talented kid i think he's a point sure. per game player mm-hmm. uh you know we get some you know real scorers on the line he could be could be pretty dangerous uh, second line, Brock Nelson. He's, uh, you know, he's another talented scorer playing with Bovilli and Bailey. You know, they really started to come together at the end there uh, last year, and they look good. And their third line is interesting because they had JG Pajot down the middle, who uh, who Rangers fans know about. Then they added Kiefer Bellows, I think, is starting today. He was a rookie last year. Barry Trout said he looked great in camp, so look forward to seeing him. And then you got – they're actually playing Ross Johnson out there today, which I think – it's probably because they're playing the Rangers. It adds a little bit of, you know, an intensity enforcer factor. But he is a pretty good hockey player, so I look out for him. And I believe Varlamov is getting a start tonight as well. Whether it's Sorokin or Varlamov in net, you know the Islanders are going to come out, play hard defense, and, you know, not not let in too many goals, hopefully. I think the line is minus 110 both way. I think that's a fair line. Islanders, I think, are the favorite on the puck line, minus one and a half, which is probably, uh, like, my, plus 250, which... It's starting the season. I probably wouldn't touch. I think the over under is five and a half too. Which, yeah, again, start of the season. A lot of goal. A lot of teams, you know, go over play hard defense. But with the Islanders, you know, you never know. It's usually those tight two one games that everyone finds boring. But when you're an Islander fan, it's the style of hockey you gotta love. The five and a half uh, line for tonight's game is definitely interesting because the Rangers, the the whole thing about them is everyone thinks they're going to score. They have phenomenal left wings. And I guess I'll just start, you know, into my little elevator pitch for those listening uh, about the this division, the, the Rangers. Everyone expects the left wings to produce. Their defense has guys who you expect to score. Like Tony D'Angelo, Jacob Truba, hopefully bounce backs a bit. You know they're going to score there and everyone believes in Shesterkin, the goalie, and Georgiev, who are now replacing Lundqvist, who, you know, first time Rangers had a goalie coming in the season that's not Henrik Lundqvist since 2005. It's that's crazy. I'd argue that is the number one thing to talk about in the offseason with the Rangers, not the number one pick in Alexi Lafreniere. It's it's that it's the lack of of Hank Lundqvist, who we all hope he's doing okay with his you know his heart issues he's having. And then to keep going through the, the roster, it's a lot of young guys. And the thing that's probably the most surprising is the guy at a camp who people were going crazy for in the Rangers was not Alexi Lafreniere. And that's not saying he had a poor camp. It's just that Conjure Miller on the defensive side of the puck is a guy they're expecting some major things from and he's you know a beast of a man he's six foot five he's you know should be able to do it all for them coming out of uh, Wisconsin so there's a lot of pieces to look forward to and I know we have a bet in the works about who's going to finish higher in the standings between the Rangers and the Islanders and if I was a a smart person I would say it's going to be the Islanders but I'm not smart so I want to stick with my Rangers but I will say it's it's a team where you're not supposed to expect much this season 
Now, I will go ahead and say I think the Rangers could win a cup in the next three years. And I think that's feasible with their young roster. Their core of their roster is all very young. And that's they did a great job, Gordon and company, bringing back John Davidson, building this awesome roster to compete for years ahead. I just don't think this season is the one where you're going to compete. I think outside of the Rangers and Isles, this, this division with the Bruins and the Capitals and the Flyers, if you want to throw a couple of wild cards in there, maybe the Sabres turn it around. A lot of people seem to sneaky like them. It's a real tough division, and I just don't see the Rangers really competing with the top dogs. But that being said, I think it will be fun. And I do think your Isles throughout the course of the season will be the better team. But playing my Rangers, again, not a smart man. I will take you up on that bet. We can give a quick prediction for tonight. Who do you have uh, for tonight's game? I'm going to take the Islanders money line minus 110. I think, you know, you lay a, lay a dollar 10 for a dollar. It's it's pretty good. Even, mm-hmm. even odds there, right there. I would not be shocked if the Rangers lose this one. You know, David Quinn's a great developmental coach. He's right now, you know, learning to be a better in-game coach. And there's a lot, like a lot of moving parts. Like I said earlier, the Islanders are the team that's been there, done that. The Rangers are just a lot of new parts here. Uh, I would not be shocked if they start the season of kind of rusty, just kind of learning their ways. Are we going to bet like a, a retro? We're going to do the reverse retro jersey bet? Yeah, if, if you want to go. That. Yeah. I'm, I'm All right, we'll make, we'll make it a thing. Let, let's do that then. We'll do the reverse retro uh, jersey. Rangers win the season series, then uh, I get Lady Liberty, and then uh, then unfortunately it's not the Fisherman, but uh, you yeah, win yours. Yeah, the boring Navy Blue. I think in terms of the awards in the division, you know, you have the Philadelphia Flyers goalie Carter Hart. I would not be shocked if he won the Vesna. The Rangers themselves with Chesterkin and goal, and then having Lafreniere on the third line left wing. Those are two good guys for you know rookie there for the Calder Trophy, and then obviously for Hart on the Rangers, you want to throw out Artemi Panarin, who last year was in the mix for that as well. So there's a lot of guys on the Rangers side and in the division as well that could uh, be in there for the awards. You know, there's guys in the cat, John Carlson. I see a lot of people like for, for um, Norris trophy, uh, you know, you, Tony D'Angelo may score a ton of points. I'm not sure if his defense is there for Norris, but we'll score a lot of points. Those are some names to, you know, if you're on FanDuel and want to throw some money down on those guys, is there any other ones that you think you should look out for? Yeah, I think part, well, I do think, you know, the Flyers are a little overrated. I Dude, really? think he is a pretty good goal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're a little overrated if they were playing in the, the normal season, hmm. uh, playing all the different teams. But playing in this division, you got teams like Washington, Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, you know, they're a little old. So I think Pittsburgh, uh, Philly's got more of the edge to, you know, play against those teams once they're more locked in and cohesive. But uh, I, I do think Hart probably is the best goalie in the division. I, actually, I do like right. Samson out too. I would say Varlamov or Sorokin, maybe for Calder, Vesna, but... I don't know how much he'll be playing with each other. It could just be a tandem like Trotz has done over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And I think for Hart, I, I do like Jack Eichel to win the Hart from this wow, division. I, I, I think, you know, he's going to be playing with Hall. He could put up a lot of points with Hall, considering on how Hall plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jeff Skinner has never had two bad years in a row. So if they're together on the power play, you know, it's more points too. And you got a uh, rookie uh, Dylan Cousins too who I do like for Calder. I think playing on that team, they could be a high-powered offense. I don't know how much they have defensively uh, between Olmark and Nett and, you know, Darlene, I guess, is their best defender. But 
offensively, they're a ta- pretty talented team between the first, uh, you know, top six guys. I love the Eichel pick there uh, as a huge fan of him. I mean, I went to Boston University, so you can call me biased, but I was very lucky to watch yeah. Jack play in college. And, and like I mentioned before, a lot of there are some people out there I've been reading that are you know, sneaky kind of in on the Sabres and think they can make some noise, you know, this season. So I would love to see them take the next step as a, as a franchise and see, to see Jack really uh, explode. That'd be that'd be great. And I'm also shocked to hear you say that the Flyers are a bit overrated because they seem to be not consensus, but pretty close to everyone considers the best team. And obviously we're recording this on Thursday morning. Uh, Wednesday night was the puck drop and they, they housed the Penguins six to three. I just expect to see more of that the rest of the way with the with the Flyers. I like their team a lot. And I do, like I said, I think there's a gap between the top 10 of the teams of this division and then where the Rangers are. And I think the Isles are a little bit closer to those top teams, unfortunately, uh, for my sake. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Flyers up there. I also think the Bruins will still be around too. Everyone's going crazy over the Sidney Nochara move to the Capitals, and which certainly helps them. But I don't think it really hurts Boston as much as people think. It's more of a team morale loss, I think, that hurts when you lose your captain, maybe a locker room situation. I don't think on ice he's not what Char was. You know he's not what he was years ago. But yeah, man, I'm 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 very excited to have hockey back. Uh, excited for our bet. I'm excited for uh, the four o'clock Pacific time Rangers Islanders little day hockey to watch. That going to be a really fun season. We just hope that everyone obviously stays safe and there's no cancellations of games and everyone you know gets to enjoy a, a good season uh, of hockey. So all right, well thank you, Michael, and for those minus three listeners who stuck around to hear some hockey talk. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.